Early on in the COVID-19 pandemic, Ohio garnered a good deal of national attention. Prestigious outlets such as the New York Times and the Washington Post profiled our state's health director at the time, Dr. Amy Acton. And Governor Mike DeWine was praised for leading an aggressive response to the virus that undoubtedly saved thousands of lives here in Ohio. But last week, the tentativeness of our national accomplishments were put on display when, in advance of a visit by the president, Governor DeWine tested positive for COVID-19, only to test negative a few hours later. The result was dizzying uncertainty and some worry, an event that could add to the distrust of the scientific basis of our COVID-19 response, especially with the president muddying the waters almost daily. On this week's show, I talk with two Washington Post reporters, Anne Guerin and Brittany Shamus, about the effect of DeWine's false positive on the larger national politics of the COVID-19 response. This is Prognosis Ohio, a WCBE podcast. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. As always, before turning to today's interview, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts and consider following us on Twitter and other social media. If you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Also, check out our new website at prognosisohio.com, where we're going to be housing an archive of episodes and show notes, links to social media, show production information, and more. Again, that's at prognosisohio.com. And while you're checking out the new website, consider becoming a Prognosis Ohio patron for just $3 a month. It's really helpful to us, especially as we continue to take big steps to make this show more professional and sustainable. As just one example, to make our show more accessible, we'd like to be able to spend a few bucks each episode to provide transcripts of the episodes for those who may not be able to listen. Just as a reminder, this is a passion project for us, so we assure you we're going to spend any resources we bring in to make the show better, to reach further, and to improve the quality. Again, visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in $3 a month and become a Prognosis Ohio Patreon. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Ann Guerin is a White House correspondent for The Washington Post with a focus on foreign policy and national security. Before joining the White House beat, she covered the Hillary Clinton campaign and the State Department for the Post. She joined the paper in 2012 from the Associated Press, where she served as chief diplomatic correspondent, Pentagon correspondent, White House reporter, and national security editor. She also covered the Supreme Court. Brittany Shamus is a general assignment reporter for the Washington Post. She previously worked for the Miami New Times and the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Uh, Ann Guerin and Brittany Shamus for the uh, Washington Post. Thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. So you both recently published a piece um, on Governor DeWine's COVID-19 positive test, which was then later that evening followed up by a negative test, uh, one of the, you know, a, a false positive, as they say. And all this happened because DeWine was scheduled to meet with the president in Ohio later that evening. So testing's been a major source of frustration for many months, and we've talked about it on the show. How do you think, though, about the politics of that moment with DeWine, with such a high-profile person, presumably with access to the best available tests, not being able to get a reliable test even before meeting the president? Well, I'll, I'll start um, a little bit with that. The, the way the White House has been doing uh, testing is you know, really to use these rapid uh, tests, which are um, obviously rapid, uh, and you, you get your results uh, really pretty, they can be done pretty instantaneously. The White House has all the infrastructure to do that. And they have been testing people who are going to be very close to President Trump, like kind of if you if in the like in the before times, you would have been shaking hands with him, uh, then you're probably going to get 
uh, one of these uh, rapid tests. And the protocol has been that you only are, are notified uh, that if, if it's negative, just assume that the test was positive if um, nobody uh, uh, comes in and tells you different. Uh, and that's what happened to Governor DeWine is that they gave him one of these things because he was going to uh, greet the president when he arrived and then uh, travel with him a little bit. Uh, he went to a whirlpool plant. And that was, you know, so he so the governor, along with a whole bunch of other people who were going to be near the president got these tests. We've had other uh uh, we've had other people um, bounced from the White House briefing room and from uh, trips and, and so forth uh, because they did have a, a, a positive test. Uh, the governor's case is the first I know of where a follow-up test showed a different result. Uh, and usually the problem uh, that that people identify with uh, having this as the protocol for access to the president is that uh, these tests are uh, known to give um, false positives when people actually have it, or, or uh, you know, I'm sorry, the other way around, um, you know, to when people actually do have uh, the, the virus, uh, these tests can, can still show them as being negative, which obviously seems like it's a bigger risk than the other way around. Right. Brittany, did you want to add anything to that? Um, just that, you know, from what we understand, the test that he had the second time around is considered the more uh, thorough, more sensitive, gold standard. And so when he was being asked about this, you know, apparent false positive, the explanation given was, you know, the second test was the more reliable one. And, um, you know, the first one is great because it's more accessible and it's faster, but it also is, um, you know, it can make mistakes. It's not quite as sensitive. So you open your piece, um, and we're going to be linking to the piece in the show notes for listeners, by noting that Governor DeWine's on-again, off-again diagnosis is troubling public health experts, which is a different level of just the situation itself that was posed that day. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about troubling how. Um, I mean, I have my own suspicions, and I, I can sort of see where that would likely go. Is the concern that just as the nation's making some progress, possibly in testing, despite the president's claim that testing is not as important as many public health experts say, that people are going to lose faith in testing as a foundation of the, the U.S. response. And, and so can you just unpack troubling a little bit for me? Um, well, Brittany should talk about the, uh, she did some some interviews with um, public health professionals uh, uh, for the piece that um, I think are, are more informative on on the sort of you know on the science part uh but i can talk just very briefly about the political part of that which is that you know yes they're for public public health professionals at, and school administrators and governors and all kinds of people who are actually trying to manage this crisis the uh the, the question of whether people will get tested and will believe the results if they get tested uh is is really paramount i mean it, you cannot keep track of the the course of the virus without accurate testing and without people being willing to not only get tested, but participate in contract tracing and all of the other infrastructure that goes with actually, uh, you know, having a, a, a viable testing regime and the president and, uh, and other uh, people in in positions of authority have cast doubt on not only the validity of testing, but whether we should even be doing as much of it as we currently are, which most health professionals think is not enough. Brittany, so you spoke to some of these public health officials um, 
as well as are there other dimensions of that conversation? And these people are also trying to work locally, like in places like here in Ohio to build trust with people. And it seems like something this high profile can really erode some of that work or set it back. Yeah, that's exactly the concern. Um, An expert I spoke to talked about the fact that there already has been this, um, you know, this atmosphere of mistrust around the coronavirus. We've seen multiple cases where, um, you know, conspiracy theories have like really taken hold with people um, and just really proliferated. Um, And so I think there is this concern that with somebody high profile, um, you know, their test results, the initial test result coming back um, and turning out to be untrue, that people might look at that and say, well, how can we believe any of these numbers? And, you know, knowing that the case numbers are all based on testing, that um, give, that it's not good for people to have any reason to um, to question the legitimacy of those numbers. And, you know, I mean, if, if, when the national press, uh, you know, we have a few colorful personalities in our state legislature and also in our congressional delegation. And, you know, they always make for uh, interesting moments in articles like yours. You you quote Representative Nino Vitale, you know, who really did do exactly that. He seized on that. He complained that if DeWine, this is a quote, can test positive and then negative inside a few hours, how many thousands of tests are false? And he says all of them, which is, and then he calls testing meaningless. So that rhetoric itself is like next level, um, you know, troublemaking for a public health response that's trying to gain credibility and just follow the science. I think that's exactly the kind of comment that they were worried about um, happening, you know, as a result of this situation. Well, you could hear that the governor himself was concerned about uh, that possibility too. I mean, he had a radio interview um, in, in, in the morning when he said, you know, Please do not do not take my uh, experience as uh, some sort of you know that that some sort of sign that you shouldn't get tested or the testing um, doesn't work you know just it, that's kind of <laughs> he was he was shouting into the wind there a bit. Is there a concern that this general? And I wonder what you're hearing in, in your national reporting, that these kinds of conversations are going to have kind of a trickle-down effect. I hate to use that expression, but a trickle-down effect of, uh, you know, for example, we're talking about vaccines and we all already have a considerable group of people out there who are already declaring their resistance to a vaccine that doesn't even yet exist. Is that part of that same conversation and being thought about it in that way? I mean, I I would assume so. I I, I don't I haven't really um, done a lot of, of uh, very specific reporting on on that uh, aspect of, of this crisis, but certainly the the disbelief uh, that that we see in uh, uh, the and, and the the willingness to flout uh, really very basic public health and uh, uh, good gut best practices, uh, you know, and I would say starting with the president, uh, you know, is is it really, it, it's very, very troubling for, for anybody trying to actually manage this uh, re- responsibly. It's, um, there, are, there are large parts of the country that, where people say, you know, I, okay, you can talk to me all you want about what, what this virus is and why I should be tested for it and why I should, what, you know, why I should 
uh, not have my kid in, in school every day. Uh, and I'm just not going to believe it. And, you know, that is, that is something that, that is a partly a political problem. It's partly a cultural problem. It's obviously a health problem. Uh, and it, you know, it, it is going to extend to the point when we either have a vaccine or we don't, or when we have some sort of, uh, you know, middle ground, which is probably going to invite a, a great deal more skepticism, say, a vaccine that is what scientists judge to be maybe 50 or 70% effective, like the flu vaccine often is, mm-hmm. right? Are, are people going to go think it's worth it and, and, and go and, and get that vaccine? I mean, the polling so far shows that a lot of people will not. Uh, and, and that too is troubling. It may be something that happens gradually over time where, you know, more and more people do get the uh, the flu vaccine, where we get the flu vaccine now than did uh, 15 years ago. Uh, and if this virus is with us to stay and, and never fully uh, goes away, and but but there is a at least uh, better than than 50 percent uh, effective vaccine, that might be the course that this takes as well. So Ohio was in the national spotlight quite a bit this year, right, uh, with COVID, and and of course it's a presidential election year, so Ohio usually gets a bit more love during those cycles. But, you know, a lot of that attention began with reporting about our former health director, Dr. Amy Acton, who was held up as a model for addressing the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the Post ran a piece, The Times, even Glamour magazine ran, ran a piece about her. Uh, Governor DeWine also received quite a bit of praise early on. So I just wonder, um, while I have you, um, two national reporters here on our Ohio podcast, what's your sense of how Ohio fits into the larger picture, like perhaps at the nexus of COVID-19 and the election? And you know, I'm thinking of reporting that both of you have done in different ways, but in particular, you know, this resurgence that's happened in the Midwest generally. Where, where do you, from your vantage point at the Post, think about Ohio, and what are you hearing about Ohio in those larger conversations? I think um, I think that you're exactly right that Ohio and Dewan, especially, were seen um, early on as. Um, kind of like a model for how to respond to the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And um, the Post, you know, had reporting on DeWine kind of coming into a national spotlight because of his aggressive um, response to the virus, especially at a time when he seemed to, you know, kind of be at odds with the Trump administration, you know, with, with, President Trump's Republicans in Ohio. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So um, I think that there has been national attention on him for a few months now because of that. And with the resurgence in the Midwest, I, you know, I think the spotlight will stay on him and it, it will be interesting to see how he responds to that as well. I would just add that, you know, one of the ways that we're seeing uh, the attention uh, shift from from state to state, and and you know, really, uh, last week it was on, on Ohio because the president was visiting, and we had uh, this experience with with the governor and uh, and and his test. But uh, Ohio, like lots of other states, is now also in the in the national uh, lens because of the question of of how people are going to vote, literally, like physically, literally, how people are yeah. going to vote, and uh, you know, they're. Uh, 
obviously is a, a very important swing state, a must win uh, for, for Joe Biden. Uh, if he's going to do what Hillary Clinton didn't, uh, you know, that is, Ohio is one of the states that, that in a normal year <laughs> would be flooded with uh, presidential and, and wannabe presidential visits. Uh, and, and so uh, this year, a lot of that's going to be virtual, um, except for Trump, who will go back. Because he, you know, he, unlike Biden at this point, is is doing campaign travel. Uh, And last week's trip, uh, which although it was an official White House trip, you know, these things are also sort of have a shadow life as a as a as a political trip, which you, you saw in the very political speech that he gave at the Whirlpool plant. Yeah, and also, you know, Ohio's been through this for a while now. Our primary was, you know, wrapped up in some really dramatic theatrics, legal decisions coming down to the last hour. I, I it was eleven o'clock at night, and we still didn't know if we were going to vote the next morning. Um, you know, so we had that conversation uh, early on. But Ohio is also one of the states that has a much more open um, absentee ballot policy. So we've already been there in a way, and. It, in the back of the, my mind is, you know, when when President Trump's talking about uh, fraud and you know this um, mailing uh, voting discussion, Ohio's been there for a while. Although I don't, I haven't heard him call out Ohio specifically uh, within that conversation. Maybe I missed it. Yeah, no, that's actually it, you're right. I've been interested uh, in in that point. He hasn't exactly. He hasn't pointed uh, fingers directly uh, at Ohio. He has pointed fingers at states where mail-in voting has worked really well, like Florida and Arizona, um, and mm. where and where Republicans overwhelmingly vote by mail both, in both of those states. So it's a, it's a bit counterintuitive. Well, you know, we, you both bring a, a wealth of different kind of perspectives to your reporting, and you're kind of converging on some of these COVID issues. And it just reminds us that everything from the electoral process to the opening of schools, it's all become kind of a public health cluster at this moment. And, um, you know, I just really appreciate um, you shining some light on Ohio. I I guess you had to because um, given Governor DeWine's, uh, you know, uh, the the, the credit he got early on, this happening at this time was a real kind of bookend to a story with our state and COVID with the president kind of at the middle of this at that time. I just wonder, I want to give you an opportunity if there's anything else that you think our listeners should know that you're, you're noticing about Ohio at this time through your reporting at the post um, that maybe is worth just pulling out. I don't think so. Exactly. Um, I, I would say that uh, I think, you know, Ohio is having the same, um, uh, set of conversations uh, that are happening elsewhere about uh, about school reopenings and uh, kids going back um, or not going back uh, to college campuses. And we are in for a number of weeks of upheaval and, and, and back and forth. I mean, the governor's experience of a back and forth test in one day, you know, there's a, there's a version of that that's happening uh, with, you know, with every school decision. Um, schools around the country are opening only to close uh, and college, College campuses are inviting uh, kids back uh, with the expectation that they will go home uh, at Thanksgiving, if not before. Um, there are some colleges in Ohio that, where that is the case, uh, and you know this. This is we're all in in uncharted water. There's going to be a whole lot of experimentation going on. Well, even a false positive at an Ohio school or any school would probably be enough to shut them 
down for a while, or at least just a, a road that trust that we are all trying to figure out how to get to be able to imagine something like schools being open. <laughs> I think that's right. Well, um, Anne Guerin and Brittany Shamus, I, I want to thank you so much for your reporting and for taking a little time to share some um, you know, more perspective on that reporting with our listeners here in Ohio. And we wish you all well. Thanks so much. You're so welcome. My thanks to Anne and Brittany for joining us on the show. You can read their reporting at the Washington Post, and we've included direct links to a selection of articles in our show notes and social media. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the podcast experience tab. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. Please take a minute to subscribe to Prognosis Ohio, follow us on Twitter at, at @prognosisohio, friend us on Facebook and check out our new website at prognosisohio.com. Again, we encourage you to reach out with your suggestions and your feedback. Thanks so much for listening and be well.